Chapter number 48 of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arthur Piantadosi. Chapter 48 The Flight of Sykes. Of all bad deeds that under the cover of the darkness had been committed within wide London's bounds since night hung over it, that was the worst. Of all the horrors that rose with an ill scent upon the morning air, that was the foulest and most cruel. The sun, the bright sun, that brings back not life alone, but new life and hope and freshness to man, burst upon the crowded city in clear and radiant glory though costly coloured glass and paper-mended window through hydral dome and rotten crevice it shed its equal ray it lighted up the room where the wounded woman lay it did he tried to shut it out but it would stream in if the sight had been a ghastly one in the dull morning what was it now in all that brilliant light he had not moved he had been afraid to stir there had been a moan and a motion of the hand and with terror added to rage he had struck and struck again once he threw a rug over it but it was worse to fancy the eyes and to imagine them moving towards him than to see them glaring upward as if watching the reflection of the pool of gore that quivered and danced in the sunlight on the ceiling he had plucked it off again and there was the body mere flesh and blood no more but such flesh and so much blood he struck a light, kindled a fire, and thrust the club into it. There was hair upon the end, which blazed and shrunk into a light cinder, and caught by the air, whirled up the chimney. Even that frightened him, sturdy as he was, but he held the weapon till it broke, and then piled it on the coals to burn away, and smoulder into ashes. He washed himself and rubbed his clothes. There were spots that would not be removed, but he cut the pieces out and burnt them. As those stains were dispersed about the room, the very feet of the dog were bloody. All this time he had never once turned his back upon the corpse. No, not for a moment. Such preparations completed, he moved backward towards the door, dragging the dog with him, lest he should soil his feet anew and carry out fresh evidence of the crime into the streets. He shut the door softly, locked it, took the key, and left the house. He crossed over and glanced up at the window, to be sure that nothing was visible from the outside. There was the curtain still drawn, which she would uh, open to admit the light she never saw again. It lay nearly under there. He knew that. God! How the sun poured down upon the very spot! The glance was instantaneous. It was a relief to have got free of the room. He whistled on the dog and walked rapidly away. He went through Islington, strode up the hill at Highgate, on which stands the stone in honour of Whittington, turned down to Highgate Hill, unsteady of purpose, and uncertain where to go, struck off to the right again, almost as soon as he began to descend it, and taking a footpath across the fields, skirted Carn Wood and came on Samstead Heath. Traversing the hollow to the valley of Heath, he went to the opposite bank, and crossing the road which joins the village of Hampstead and Highgate, made along the remaining portion of the heath to the fields at North End, in one of which he laid himself down under the hedge and slept. Soon he was up again and away, not far into the country, but back towards London by the high road, 
then back again, then over another part of the same ground as he already traversed, and wandering up and down in fields, and lying on ditches banks to rest, and starting up to make for some other spot, and do the same, and ramble on again. Where could it go, that was near and not too public, to get some meat and drink? Hendon. That was some good place, not far off and out of most people's way. Hither he directed his steps, running sometimes, and sometimes with a strange perversity, loitering at a snail's pace, or stopping altogether and idly breaking the hedges with a stick. But when he got there, all the people he met, the very children at the doors, seemed to view him with suspicion. Back he turned again without the courage to purchase bit or drop. Though he had tasted no food for many hours, and once more he lingered on the heath, uncertain where to go, he wandered over miles and miles of ground, and still came back to the old place. Morning and noon had passed, and the day was on the wane, and still he rambled to and fro, and up and down, and round and round, and still lingered about the same spot, and last he got away, and shaped his course for Hatfield. It was nine o'clock at night when the man, quite tired out on the dog, limping and lame from the unaccustomed exercise, turned down the hill by the church of the quiet village, and plodding along the idle street, crept into a small public house, whose scanty light had guided them to the spot. There was a fire in the taproom, and some country labourers were drinking before it. They made room for the stranger, but he sat down in the furthest corner, and ate and drank alone, or rather with his dog, to whom he cast a morsel of food from time to time. The conversation of the men assembled here turned upon the neighbouring land and farmers, and when those topics were exhausted upon the age of some old man who had been buried on the previous Sunday, the young men present considering him very old, and the old men present declaring to be quite young, not older, one right-grandfather said that and he was with ten or fifteen years of life in him at least, if he had taken care, if he had taken care. There was nothing to attract attention or excite alarm in this. The robber, after taking his reckoning, sat silent and unnoticed in his corner, and was almost dropped asleep when he was half-wakened by the noisy entrance of a newcomer. This was an antique fellow, a peddler and half mountebank, who travelled about the country on foot to vend horses, strops, razors, wash-balls, harness-paste, medicine for dogs and horses, cheap perfumery, cosmetics and such like wares, which he carried in a case slung onto his back. His entrance was a signal for various homily jokes with the countryman, which slackened not until he had ate the supper and opened his box of treasures, when he ingeniously contrived to unite the business with amusement. "'Oh, be thou, Stolf! Good day, Harry!' asked the green countryman, pointing to some composition cakes in one corner. "'This!' said the fellow, producing one. This is the infallible and invaluable composition for moving all sorts of stain, raw, dirt, mildew, spick, speck, spore or spatter from silk, sutter, latin, cambric, claw, crepe, stuff, carpet, merino, muslin, bombazine or woolen stuff. Wine stains, foot stains, beer stains, water stains, paint stains, pitch stains, any stains all come out one rock for this infallible and valuable composition. If a lady stains her all that, we only need to swallow one cake and she's cured at once, for it's poison. If a gentleman wants to prove this, he is only mean to boat once into square, 
I think it's probably beyond question. But with quite satisfactory as a pistol bullet and a great deal nastier than flavour, consequentially the more credit in taking it. One penny a square. With all these virtues, one penny a square. There were two buyers directly, and more of the listeners plainly hesitated. The vendor observing this increased in quality. It's all bought up as fast as it can be made, said the fellow. Uh, I thought we more mills, six steam engines, and a galvanic battery always are working upon it, and they can't make it fast enough. Yeah, the men work so well, they die off, and the widows is pensioned directly with £20 a year for which other children, a premium for 50 for twins. One penny a square, two halfpence is all the same, and four forwards is received with joy. One penny a square, wood stains, fruit stains, beer stains, wall stains, sweet stains, pitch stains, mould stains, blood stains. I was a stain of poor air of a gentleman in company that all take to clean out, but all he can all me a pile of ale. Oh! cried Say, starting up. Give me a book! All take it clean out, sir, replied the man, winking to the company. Afore you can come across for room to get it, then we all observe the dark stain of poor air's gentleman's heart, no white and shilly, but quicker than half crown. Wood is a wine stain, fruit stain, beer stain, wall stain, paint stain, pitch stain, mould stain, and blood stain. The man got no further for Sykes with a hideous imprecation overthrew the table, and tearing the hat from him, burst out of the house. With the same perversity of feeling and resolution that fastened upon him, despite himself, all day, the murderer, finding that he was not followed, and that they most probably considered him some drunken, sullen fellow, turned back up the town, and getting out of the glare of the lamps for stagecoaches that were standing in the street, was walking past when he recognised a mail from London, and saw that it was standing at the little post office. He almost knew what was to come, but he crossed over and listened. The guard was standing at the door, waiting for the letter-bag. A man, dressed like a gamekeeper, came up at the moment, and he handed him a basket which lay ready on the pavement. "'Those for your people,' said the guard. Oh, look here, if you're in there, will you? Don't lay here, bag. It won't ready no fall house. This won't do, you know. Anything new from open town, Ben? Asked the gamekeeper, drawing back to the window shutters, the better to admire the horses. No, not with our nose on, replied the man, pulling on his gloves. Calls up a little. I'm here to a murder, too, down Spiffield's way. Oh, we reckon most upon it. Oh, that's quite true, said the gentleman inside, who was looking out of the window. And a dreadful murder it was. What was it, sir? rejoined the guard, tossing his hat. Man or woman, pray, sir? A woman, replied the gentleman. It is supposed... Now, Ben, replied the coachman impatiently. Dormer here, bag, said the guard. Or were you going to sleep in there? Come in, said the office keeper, running out. Come in, growled the guard. Oh, so's a young human or property that's going to take a fancy of me, but I don't know when. Here, give him all right. The horn sounded a few cheerful notes. And the coach was gone. Sykes remained standing in the street, apparently unmoved by what he had just heard, 
and agitated by no stronger feeling than the doubt where to go at length he went back again and took the road which leads from hatfield to st albans he went on doggedly but as he left the town behind him and plunged into the solitude and darkness of the road he felt a dread in awe creeping upon him which shook him to the core every object before him substance or shadow still moving took the semblance of some fearful thing but these fears were nothing compared to the sense that haunted him of that morning's ghastly figure following at his heels he could trace its shadow in the gloom supply the smallest item of the outline and note how stiff and solemn it seemed to stalk along he could hear its garments rustling in the leaves and every breath of wind came laden with a last low cry if he stopped it did the same if he ran it followed not running too that would have been a reef but like a corpse endowed with mere machinery of life and bore all on one slow melancholy wind that never rose or fell at times he turned with desperate aspiration resolved to beat this phantom off though it should look him dead but the hair rose on his head and his blood stood still for it had turned with him and was behind him then he had kept it before him that morning but it was behind him now always he leaned his back against a bank and felt that it stood above him visibly out against the cold night sky he threw himself upon the road on his back upon the road at his head it stood silent erect and still a living gravestone with its epitaph in blood let no man talk of murderers escaping justice and hint that providence must sleep there were twenty score of violent deaths in one long minute of that agony of fear there was a shed in a field he passed that offered shelter for the night before the door were three tall topless trees which made it very dark within and the wind moaned through them with a dismal wail he could not walk on till daylight came again and here he stretched himself close to the wall to undergo new torture for now a vision came before him as constant and more terrible than that from which he had escaped those widely staring eyes so lustreless and so glassy that he had better borne to see than than think upon them appeared in the midst of the darkness light in themselves but given light to nothing they were but two but they were everywhere if he shot out the sight there came the room with the every little known object some indeed that he would have forgotten if he had gone over its contents from memory each in its accustomed place the body was in its place and its eyes were as he saw them when he stole away he got up and rushed into the field without the figure was behind him he re-entered the shed and shrunk down once more the eyes were there before he had laid himself along and here he remembered in such terrors none but he can know trembling in every limb and the cold sweat starting from every pore when suddenly there arose on night wind the noise of distant shouting and the roar of voices mingled in alarm and wonder any sound of men in that lonely place even though it had conveyed a real cause of alarm was something to him he regained his strength and energy at this prospect of personal danger in springing to his feet rushed into the open air the broad sky seemed on fire rising to the air with showers of sparks and rolling one above the other with sheets of flame 
lighting the atmosphere for miles around and driving clouds of smoke in the direction where he stood. The shouts grew louder as new voices swelled the roar. Neither the cry of fire mingled with the ringing of an alarm bell, the fall of heavy bodies and the crackling of flames as they twined round some new obstacle and shot aloft as though refreshed by food. The noise increased as he looked. There were people there, men and women, light, bustle. It was like new life to him. He darted onward, straight, headlong, dashing through briar and brake, leaping gate and fence as madly as his dog, who reared with loud and sounding bark before him. He came upon the spot. There were half-dressed figures tearing to and fro, some endeavouring to drag the frightened horses from the stables, others driving the cattle from the yards and outhouses, and others coming latent from the burning pile amid a shower of falling sparks and tumbling down of red-hot beams. The apertures where doors and windows stood an hour ago disclosed a mass of raging fire. Walls rocked and crumbled into the burning well. The molten lead and iron poured down white-hot upon the ground. Women and eldren shrieked, and men encouraged each other with noisy shouts and cheers. The clanking of the engine pumps and the spirting and hissing of the water as it fell upon the blazing wood added a tremendous roar. He shouted too till he was hoarse, and flying from memory, and himself plunged into the thickets of the throng. Here and thither he dived that night, now working the pumps, now hearing through the smoke and flame, but never ceasing to engage himself wherever noise and men were thickest. Up and down the ladders, upon the roofs of buildings, over floors that quaked and trembled with his weight, under the lee of falling bricks and stones, in every part of that great fire was he, but he bore a charmed life, and a neither scratch nor bruise, nor weariness nor thought, till morning dawned again, and only smoke and bracken ruins remained. This mad excitement over, he returned with tenfold force the dreadful consciousness of his crime. He looked suspiciously about him, for the men were conversing in groups, and he feared to be the subject of the talk. The dog obeyed the significant beck of his finger, and they drew off steadily together. He passed near an engine where some men were seated, and they called to him and share in their refreshment. He took some meat, earth and meat, and as he draw and could draw the beer, heard the firemen, who were from London, talking about the murder. "'I is going to burn it, am I, say?' said one. "'But we will have him yet, for the scouts are out, and more and more, more there'll be a crawl through the country.' He hurried off and walked till he almost dropped upon the ground, and lay down in the lane, and had a long but broken and uneasy sleep. He wandered on again, irresolute and undecided, and oppressed with the fear of another solitary night. Suddenly he took the desperate resolution of going back to London. Oh, somebody speak to that, all of that, he thought. Go on, place too. Oh, never expect an army there out of this country, sir. Or can I lie by for a week or so and fall in blood from fag and get abroad to France? Dom, or risk it. He acted upon this impulse without delay, and choosing the least frequented roads, began his journey back, resolved to lie concealed within a short distance of the metropolis, and entering it at dusk by the circuitous route to proceed straight to that part of it which he had fixed on for its destination.
The dog, though, if any description of him were out, it would not be forgotten that the dog was missing, and had probably gone with him. This might lead to his apprehension as he passed the on the streets. He resolved to drown him, and walked on, looking about for a pond, picking up a heavy stone and tying it to his handkerchief as he went. The animal looked him up as into his fastest face while these preparations were making, whether his instinct apprehended something of their purpose. All the robber's sight-long look at him was sterner than the ordinary. He skulked a little farther in the rear than usual, and cowered as he came more slowly along. When his master halted at the brink of a pool and looked round to call him, he stopped outright. You hear me call? Come here! cried Sykes. The animal came up from the very force of habit, but as Sykes stooped to attach the handkerchief to his throat, he uttered a low growl and started back. Come back! said the robber. The dog wagged its tail, but moved not. Sykes made a running noose and called him again. The dog advanced, retreated, paused an instant, and scoured away at his hardest speed. The man whistled again and again, and sat down and waited in the expectation that he would return. But no dog appeared, and at length he resumed his journey. End of chapter 48 of Oliver Twist